today about suffering, and that video highlights the paradox between real problems that some people suffer in the world, real problems we might suffer, and then some of those things that actually we allow to irritate us, like, I hate it when my next door neighbour blocks his Wi-Fi. Oh, it spoils my day. So, you've got two minutes at your table, say hi to people with you, that are with you, and I want you to share what your first world problems are. Get them off your chest, okay? Let's make this a confessional, cathartic moment. Name it and then we'll move on from it. What are your first world problems? I hate it when you come to G2 and there's someone in front of you getting the coffee that you want. Oh, come on, let's get it off our chest, chat at your table, you've got two minutes, and then we're going to do something else. Well, quite a lot of first world problems there. Last week, Gareth introduced us uh, in chapters 1 and 2 of this book, Job, and we're about to hear a little bit more of that story, to the man uh, called Job. And uh, as the opening verses told us, Job lived uh, in the land of Uz, which, as I heard that, I thought, is that near the land of Oz? But it's probably a mixture of films. In my head, that was funnier than it came out. Okay. <laughs> It'll be funnier on the podcast. Uh, and... Job was a righteous man who loved God and life was going well and he suffered incredible calamity. All ten of his children were killed. His house <coughs> fell down. His living, which was in his livestock, was taken away by others. And then the crowning glory of his sufferings, he was struck with a, a bodily disfigurement and his body, did, you know, the, the visualisation of it is, is just beautiful as we heard it last week. His body was covered in festering boils that he scraped off his skin with broken pottery. Can I just say, if ever anyone offers the chance for you to do kids' work on Job chapter 1, say yes. The art and craft that goes with that visualisation of the biblical story will be absolutely amazing. Yes, Johnny, they're festering boils. We're doing it for mummy. Okay, stick them on. Yes, I know it smells putrid. It's meant to. Wow, yes. Okay, uh, Gav, do you want to come up? And Gav's going to read to us uh, from the passage that we're going to look at today. I think it's on page 358. It is on page 358. I'm going to have to talk into this. Uh, so it's Job chapter 16 uh, on page 358. Then Job replied... I have heard many things like these, your miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I could also speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my, my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved. And if I refrain, it does not go away. Surely, God, you have worn me out. You have devastated my entire household. You have shriveled me up and it has become my witness. My gauntness rises up and testifies against me. God assails me and tears me in his anger and gnashes his teeth at me. My opponents fasten on me his piercing eyes. People open their mouth to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn and unite together against me. God has turned me over to the ungodly and thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He has made me his target. His archers surround me. Without pity, he pierces my kidneys and spills my gall on the ground. Again and again, he perched upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. 
I have sewed sackcloth over my skin and buried my brow in the dust. My face is red with weeping. Dark shadows ring my eyes. Yet my hands have been free of violence and my prayer is pure. Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God, on behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. Only a few years will pass before I take the path of no return. Thanks, Karen. Nice sandals. Well, the passage we just heard is the middle of, yes, a 30-chapter discourse between Job and his three mates who came round when calamity hit him. And uh, that just gave you a flavour of what could go on for maybe even an, an hour if we read the whole thing of the conversation that took place between Job and his friends. His friends each giving a short speech and then Job giving a response and then another friend giving a short speech and his friends responding. Um, and uh, the, as you'll see it's sort of laid out in the Bible passage, the whole thing is done in Hebrew poetry and rhyming couplets. So not only were they kind of pouring out what turned out to be incredibly unhelpful words, but they did it with rhyme. Wow. This is the Shakespeare of whinges. This is like country and western music at its absolute very worst. This is the kind of prose that if you weren't depressed before it started being read to you, by the end of it, you'd feel like you were, on, you know, you were kind of just ready to give up the will to live. This was the quality of words that came to Job from his friends. And kind of the central question they are presuming to help Job to understand is, is the question of why me? Why has this happened to me, is Job thinking. He is trying to make sense of this question. I think many years ago, uh, I had a friend uh, when we didn't live in York, when we lived in Bishop Stortford, and I had a friend who told me, he said uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he thought to himself, why me? And then a year later, after he'd had his treatment, he was given the all clear, and he said to me, I thought to myself again, why me? In fact, it's often the case that when it's a bad thing that happens to our life, people often take the complaint to God. Why can't I find a parking space? Why didn't I get that job? Why won't she go out with me? It's rare that you see on the news um, somebody who's won the lottery and they're going, I just keep thinking, God, why me? You know, normally people don't take that to God when it's a positive, but when it's a negative, they take their complaint to Job. To God. Job's, um, Job, God, there you go. Job's friends have weighed in heavily. And they begin, you know, only minutes after they arrive. They have no sort of sense of the, the flow of that journey that Job might be going through. The process of suffering. If you've ever um, sat with somebody who's, who's going through something difficult, it's, it's a process that unravels. And Job's friends weighed in at the very beginning. 
at the top of that reading, we heard what Job's response to them was. He's, he's about 14 chapters into there, so he's about halfway into what they had to say. And he's already labelled them as miserable comforters. These are not really effective best friends. They are miserable comforters. Um, I think in another translation, they're described as useless windbag friends. This is, this is the usefulness of what they are pouring out to Job. I wonder what we're like when somebody tells us of something difficult that happens. Do you know, we can often actually, almost on autopilot, just say unhelpful things. I remember a few years ago when my, when my father died, and uh, people, I met lots of people who knew in the following week. But one of the hard things was the most, the, the most frequently thing that was, the, the thing that was most frequently said to me when people would say, how are you feeling? And I know it was well intent. They were, they were trying to express some warmth and compassion. But actually those were kind of almost the least helpful words. It was in effect they're saying, describe to me your feelings. Revisit your feelings in the midst of calamity. It's the kind of comfort that, that actually is sometimes born out of, of awkwardness or not knowing what to say. It, we can be people who often we hold back from reaching out to people in need because we often don't know what to do or what to say. Let me give you some of the highlights of some of the things that Job's comforting friends have said to him. One of them goes off uh, 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 talking about egg whites. He says to Job, does an egg white without salt have taste? I mean, that's going to be helpful, isn't it? As Job ponders that. You know, a recipe for scrambled eggs. Uh, uh, the next one says, um, does a cow fear before she gives birth? The implication is, the cows out there are happily giving birth. Um, they haven't got any problems, so maybe the reason you're struggling is you've got problems like fear in your life. Um, here's another one, some really choice, wise words. One of his friends says this, you know you haven't been burgled if nothing has gone missing. That's like a useless tweet. You know, who, who puts that up in their office and goes, do you know what, all my friends need to see that level of, of wisdom. Here's another one. Clouds fade and then reappear. Brilliant, yeah. We're all better for knowing that. Here's another one. This is the last one. A river with no water is just a road. <laughs> can, can you imagine the, the comforting words, and there are thousands of us from Job's so-called friends, put on sympathy cards. So you're going in the shop, you've got a friend, they're going through a difficult time, and you've got that quote about, you know, scrambled eggs with salt, and you think, that's brilliant. That'll really help them. When they get that, they're going to be absolutely lifted up. Well, I want to pick out for us quickly five P's, five things that begin with P that, as I was reading through this passage this week, struck me about Job's miserable, comforting friends. And the first P is philosophy. His friends are, are uninvited philosophers. They've come around to help, and actually what they're doing is simply offering philosophy. They're pontificating about the unknown causes and reasons and explanations 
behind um, what's happened to Job. Can you imagine talking to somebody who's lost their job and maybe you say, well, maybe, uh, maybe God's just teaching you not to be so materialistic. Can you imagine the lack of comfort that would come from that? Or uh, you've got a friend and uh, her fiancé just split up with you and, and you say, well, maybe, maybe this is just God's message for lifelong celibacy. <laughs> How encouraging is that going to be? Or maybe, um, maybe you're sick and somebody says to you, well, worse things happen at sea. Do you know, that was my mum's phrase of choice for whenever I whinged at home. She used to say to me, Christian, well, Christian, worse things happen at sea. Problem was, I never really understood that because I love the seaside. So I was, I was thought of going to the sea as like a treat. And also, I had no idea that my mum had been a sailor and had, had gained all this wisdom on the ocean waves of seeing the dreadful things that can happen when you get out onto the ocean and then she could come back later in life as she's rearing her eldest child and impart the wisdom. Well, you think that's bad, but if you were out on the sea, <laughs> worse things have been happening. There was a survey done of uh, Macmillan nurses uh, who go in to help people, uh, often with uh, chronic illness, and they, they visit people in their home. And they were, they were asked to talk about what is helpful when they get alongside people in great need. And this is what they said. The number one thing that they need to do, over and above going in and doing practical nursing things, is to, is to convey human warmth. They identified that as the top need of somebody who is suffering and in need. Just to be there, just to show that you have some understanding, some capacity to see what that other person is going through and feeling. The second thing they identified was this, practical help. Specific and practical help. Practical help helps people who are often in difficulty. And the third thing they identified was hope. Be a bringer of hope. Not like Job's miserable comforters. Be somebody who brings the possibility that the future may be different and may be better. The second P is this, perspective. This was Job's half-time score. And a half-time score, in any game, only tells you so much. It might hint at the direction it's going, but it does not tell you what the final outcome is going to be. In this, in this journey of suffering, Job is only part way through. And he is, in the, he is where he is. He's in the middle of it. But the big picture is, he's only halfway through it. This is only one particular perspective, one particular moment in where he is. In fact, the story ends better for Job. He looks back later in life and uh, God has restored him. God has uh, put back what was taken away and what was lost. Later in life, he looks back at these calamities and the journey he went through with his friends with a whole different perspective. Often people going through suffering, they the, the people who deal with this every day understand that it's a process. For example, bereavement counsellors often won't work with somebody until six months has passed because they know there's a journey. And then they know anniversaries and things that happen in the future are other, other significant times, other milestones along the journey. So Job has just uh, at an, in a moment, an instant of perspective on where he is. But he moves through his difficulties and his suffering 
as the story unfolds. And the other interesting thing of the perspective in the opening chapters that we heard last week is that there are two layers to this story. Because the story has the human layer, what we would have seen if we had been there, which was what happened to Job. But behind the scenes, we know that the enemy of God is attacking him and God is putting constraints upon what can happen to Job. But here's the thing. Job is unaware of this. We read his story hearing the two narratives unfold. What happened and what God and the enemy are saying. But Job is only aware of his, his experience in the story. And we often need to open our mind to understand, do you know what, actually there are bigger things happening. And I guess there are two dangers. One is that we can over-lift that and we can just over-spiritualise everything. You know, the reason I couldn't get my coffee is the enemy. That, you know, we could over-spiritualise that. But we could also under-spiritualise it. You know, not being aware that actually in God's kingdom there are battles and, and skirmishes going on which we may be unaware of, but, we, but we're called to pray and to be aware of that and to understand that those things are happening. The third P is pain. And Job is in the midst of pain. In fact, as you read his words, you can see he's a man speaking out of the rawness of his situation. His heart is full of grief and he's expressing his pain. And often we can be afraid of pain. It can be, it can be very hard to be with somebody who is in pain, whether that's emotional pain or whether it's just kind of the pain of, of what's happening in life or whether it's physical pain, somebody who's, who's sick and ill and you can't take that pain away it can, we can often shy away from that because it can be very hard to engage with that we can often as, as Christians sort of treat it as black and white you know well I'm following Jesus so there won't be any pain but that's not where Job was he was a righteous man following God and he was going through a season in his life when things were unbelievably hard and he needed to be able to express his pain and one of my favourite books in the Bible is the book of Psalms. And I love it because it's incredibly honest about the human situation. And as you read the Psalms, they're not just happy songs. There are a few happy songs in there. But many of them actually are, are some, some specific person expressing how they feel to God. And many of them start with somebody who's not in a good place with God. Somebody who's cross or, or frustrated or disappointed because this is where their life is at. And they need to come to God and rather than just put a smile on and say, all's well, I'll worship. They need to say, do you know, God, actually, this is how I feel right now. This is what I want to say to you right now. This is the list of my frustrations. Here are the disappointments I have. Here are the things I am not certain of. And then they go on a journey. And their journey is about the difficulty of engaging with God and reminding themselves of who God is and hearing from God and receiving from God and maybe being taken to another place. And pain is something that we need to do something with. If we are suffering, if we are hurting, if we know somebody in that situation, ultimately that pain either needs to be transformed into something or it will actually have an effect upon that person and transform them. 
Pain, pain either needs to be transformed by God or it will transform the person. And the fourth P is people. It should be friends, but I needed P. So it's people. Job's friends. They get a bad rap. And actually, they, even, even God tells them off in the end. Even God says to them in the end, you must now ask Job to offer a sacrifice of forgiveness for the dreadful and unhelpful things that you've said so that you can be forgiven and move on in friendship. So even God's verdict is they were miserable, useless comforters. But I think there's some good things about them. They were willing. They turned up. As soon as they heard that their friend was in need, they came round. They came together. You can imagine there were a gang of four guys that maybe went down the pub or went on cycling trips together or, or hung out together. And when Job was in need, his friends were there. And uh, I think friendship is the opposite of the idea of miserable comforters that Job speaks out against. Friendship is probably the antidote to that worst-case scenario of care. I think friendship is probably one of the strongest things in our lives that can help us go through suffering and can be one of the most powerful tools by which we actually help those in need. A few years ago, and I kept a note of it, Gallup did a poll of several thousand people who had a problem. So uh, this was done in North America. Several thousand people who had a problem. And they tracked what happened with that problem as these people took different courses of actions. Some of the people with a problem went to see a counsellor. So in the scheme of what, how they identified that, a counsellor was somebody with the most basic training uh, in that role of helping somebody. And of those that went to see a counsellor, 18% said after a year the problem had changed or gone away. Um, then the next section of people went to see a therapist, so that was like, like a counsellor, but some, some more experience and more, more training. And of those that went to see uh, a therapist, 22% said after a year the problem had changed or gone away. Uh, the third group went to see a psychiatrist, so that's somebody with significant more uh, training and expertise, the equivalent of kind of a medical doctor. And of those that went to see a psychiatrist, 31% said the problem had changed or went away. And then the last group of people were people who said, I have a friend who I see about once a week with whom I can talk about how I feel. And of the group that went to see their friend, 87% said, after a year, the problem had changed or had gone away. Now, that's not to say that maybe some that went to see the psychiatrist had a different kind of problem from those that went to see their friend. But it's just a simple illustration of the power of friendship in transforming and changing our lives. And the last P um, is prayer. At the very end of this chapter, Job turns his thoughts to prayer. He turns the things that have been said to him by his friends and he begins to talk to God about his situation. And God is ultimately that the source, the resource with which suffering can be taken and made sense of. I think actually if you take God out of life, suffering, it's not possible for it to have any meaning. It's just, it's just biology and it's just natural selection. It's just, it's just the way of things. Um, a situation 
without God, it's very hard to bring a sense of a bigger meaning or a purpose or a meaningful resolution to the situation. And one of the amazing things about the book of Job, and it's much quoted often at funerals, it's quoted often at Christmas, is because Job, in his personal story of suffering, actually um, understands that he needs God to be his advocate. And it's almost as if in his his dealings with God, he's recognising the role of Jesus, whom he doesn't yet know. Um, And so at Christmas, uh, we often quote those verses from Job about, he he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. It's in Handel's Messiah, if you've ever heard that um, at the end of this book. And uh, in this chapter 16, he begins at the end talking about, "I, I need to take my calamity to my advocate who is in heaven. And I think that's the final resolution of what the suffering situation is. The opposite of the miserable comforters is being able to turn to a God who understands suffering. And the Christian understanding of God is God brings his credentials for understanding suffering by bringing Jesus to us. Anyone that's uh, suffering or in difficulty can can look at Jesus and see him as God's representative suffering. A man of sorrows acquainted with suffering and grief. Somebody that we can look at and understand, actually, God is not distant and remote from my life. He's not like the comments of Job's uh, miserable comforters who are philosophising about things that they don't understand. God is made most clearly known in Jesus who is somebody who entered our world and took on the sufferings that are common to our life together. We're going to have um, bread and wine together in a minute, and I'm going to introduce that to us. But I just want to have a moment where we can just um, pray and ask God to be uh, with us through what we